0: This week, our executive producer, Adam Gabeski, recommended we watch Batman and Robin. As enticing as that is, we decided to watch the 1983 classic, The Big Chill.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of Cinematic Respect. I'm Charlie Walsh and I'm your first co-host.
0: And I am Jessica Clare your second co-host.
1: Hey, Jessica, in honor of today's episode, I was thinking when you eventually
0: kick it die.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and all of your friends have gathered around for your funeral. Mm-hmm. What, what is the soundtrack going to be? What is somebody going to play on the organ? In the church.
0: <laughs> on an organ yes. in particular, which I like that she knew how to play an organ. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, uh, I mean, that's what this movie is lauded for is its, uh, its soundtrack. I don't know. What would I want played on an organ? Probably something. I mean, so the music in this movie does appeal to me in my old lady ways. I don't know <laughs> how to describe better than that, my, my taste. But um, yeah, probably something like Otis Redding.
1: Hmm, I'm trying to think of what I would have.
0: Yeah, what would you have, Charlie?
1: We've already established I'm a big Simon and Garfunkel fan, so anything Simon and Garfunkel would think would be appropriate, although I think not much of it translates very well to organ music.
0: (laughs) I'm I'm okay with this. I've made my peace with it. Okay.
1: So this episode, we're actually talking about the 1983 movie, The Big Chill, which was chosen by our uh, good friend and previous guest, Dan Hess. Welcome back to the show, Dan. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, We are going to throw the same question right at you. I know we know you're a big music fan. So one song played at an organ at your funeral.
2: <laughs> it's a loaded question, though, because, I mean, what do you want? Do you want the song to say something? Or do you want a certain groove? Do you want people to be in a certain mood? I mean, so many things to consider, but probably something by The Clash is what it'll come down to. Okay.
0: <laughs> probably not played on an organ, or at least I hope not.
1: So now we've all, uh, we officially have this in uh, an audio record.
0: yeah.
2: Of our wishes, so. You know, I, I didn't even think about that. It's got to be translatable to an Oregon. I'll still come, come back to something by the clash. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's got to be something in the... And
2: right, I'll find something that translates.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, let's start off with a little bit of synopsis about the movie. Um It's a story of seven friends from college who have actually gotten back together for a weekend because... One of their good friends has passed away, um, actually committed suicide. And that's basically the story. It's them all being together how over much, the course how much of one week
0: How much time is supposed to have passed? I was guesstimating, like... 12-ish years, something like that, 12, 15 years after college? Yeah,
1: I think it's at least 10. Yeah. Right? So we know that there were characters who were in Vietnam and that some
2: significant amount of time has passed since then. So mm-hmm. I think it's supposed to be right I run. think it was 15. I, I only say that because I was doing some searching after trying to figure out what I thought just happened versus what actually just happened. And once I realized that it was... They were all in college in 1968, kind of snapped everything into perspective and I understood the movie better.
0: Ah, that does help.
1: That gives us a good frame yeah. of reference. So they're all probably in their, you know, mid 30s at this yeah. point, which
0: Well, given that given that the one uh Meg is really worried about her uh biological clock ticking, I figured uh I figured she had to be at least in her mid 30s. So I mean, everybody's getting back together and I think enough time has passed since college that you're supposed to be kind of getting this feel for um reality versus expectations after you graduate from college in your early 20s with all your ideals and your and your goals and ambitions and so it's definitely a bittersweet somewhat cynical kind of a feel for the weekend Oh
1: sure yeah yeah but we've got a pretty stacked cast although i don't not sure at the time Many of these people were huge. We got Tom Berenger, Joe Beth Williams, Glenn Close, Kevin Kline, William Hurt, Meg Tilly, Mary Kay Place, and my favorite, Jeff Goldblum. It's
2: also <laughs> his there. His character is so awkward. <laughs> I, his character is Jeff Goldblum. I, I mean. know. It's exactly it. <laughs> I even made a note of that. Almost of those exact words. <laughs> And my my exact note was he's been playing Jeff Goldblum for at least 35 years.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm just half expecting him to bust out some lines from like Jurassic Park.
2: (laughs) You know, it's funny you say that because my next note is the video of him when he was on that video camera doing Mm -hmm. a little fake interview. Yeah. It was like watching the Jurassic Park audition tape. (laughs) (laughs) It was weird.
0: Yeah, I believe it.
1: So yeah, it's just basically all of those people getting back together for the weekend. And old flames are rekindled, and
0: yeah. As far as I can tell, in college they all slept together and did a lot of drugs and (laughs) were very idealistic. I don't know. College. It's an odd, odd odd thing (laughs) to watch because I guess I relate to it. um, You know, Charlie and I went to graduate school together, and so there's a big group of friends. And so I'm like, yeah, no, I don't think any of us have any of these shared experiences, like at at all. (laughs) Like I'm trying to personally identify. No, I don't think so. No, I mean not. not with the their past experiences. Oh I guess. sure, yeah, yeah. The way they describe how they were the I'm specific
1: like, connections between
0: yeah.
2: the characters. Yeah. yeah, you're not that far changed from when you were in uh, grad school. No, I'm the same
1: person. <laughs> <laughs> so the director and co-writer of this movie is Lawrence Kasdan, whose name I recognize because he wrote The Empire Strikes
0: Back. Dun dun dun. Yeah.
1: So we already knew he was a good writer, but not necessarily for this type of
0: thing. I, yeah. I it's not I don't know what it is. I don't know that I had a problem with it until maybe a half to two thirds of the way through. And then it just kinda of went off the rails for me.
2: Okay. Well, <laughs> is it that different than uh the Empire's Rights Backflow? I mean, it's kind of about the man stomping on the uh ideals of the of the young <laughs> radicals, right? <laughs> is the
0: just man different Is is the man Harold in this instance? <laughs>
2: <laughs> maybe he was the emperor.
1: <laughs> uh so dan you'd never seen this movie before um what was the reason that you chose this one
2: so i chose it because the last time i was on my uh recommendation was high fidelity oot, oot, oot. and we started talking about high fidelity and somehow we mentioned that line where uh they disqualify you can't always get what you want by the rolling stones because of its involvement in the big chill and they both go Ugh. <laughs> but I never seen the picture, so I didn't know why they had that reaction, and I wanted to understand that.
0: Which I want to point out, that conversation in that movie is about music you'd have as part of like <laughs> your funeral or whatever, as part of <laughs> exactly. like, a, like a top death songs about or top ten songs about death or something like that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, something like that.
0: Yeah.
1: So, what did you think the movie was? going to be? I mean, did you have any idea based on just that one reference or did you go in with no expectations?
2: The only two things I really knew about it were one that, you know, that reference. And then number two, I was expecting it to be like kind of the breakfast club, but with 30 somethings. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that they were all friends in the past. So I thought I, I thought for sure at some point I was going hear, to hear the line. You think, you know me, but you don't know me, man. <laughs> You were right.
0: <laughs> you know, maybe like Molly Ringwald would just show up just for no reason. <laughs> Sounds good.
2: <laughs> You're right, somebody's daughter. I mean, were exactly. you just were you just
1: congratulating yourself when William Hurt <laughs> said that towards the end? He says that on the couch. <laughs>
0: right. He comes awfully close to saying yeah. that. You're right.
1: Um. So you can't always get what you want. It's not actually the first song in the movie. The first one is "Hurt It Through the Grapevine." Yes. What this, um. This kind of neat montage so the thing I love about this movie is that it definitely shows rather than tells a lot of the time sure so
0: about each each character each character right mm-hmm.
1: so there's a little montage that shows a little bit about you, you you figure out what the character's job is sort of a little bit about their personality based on the things that they're packing in order to go to the funeral
0: yeah it shows and, everybody know, getting everybody including to. the corpse getting ready for the funeral
1: yes that's true <laughs> uh, and the other yeah neat thing about that opening montage is that yeah you see somebody being dressed but being dressed by someone else and then yeah you find out that this is the corpse of their dear friend
2: their dear friend alex and um which, which speaking of alex did you uh see who actually played alex oh, I you never see us? no
0: yep. who is it
2: it was kevin cosner no way <laughs> yep
0: why why?
2: Well, there are apparently
1: deleted scenes that they didn't use in the film Oh, like they flashbacks filmed. With him. Or yes, something? flashbacks okay. which they decided not to use. Um I didn't get a chance to watch those this time around. I remember the last time I watched this I looked them up online, so I hmm. think you can find them, but um I'm good. is at least on record saying like I wouldn't put them in or he didn't want to remake the movie. He thought it was fine as is. So yeah. yep, just a cut. Hmm. And I think ultimately it's fine. I mean, you don't have any particular reason to meet Alex it's kind of interesting to see him through the perspective of his friends his friends
0: and his amazingly flighty weird girlfriend
1: (laughs) right yeah so we have heard it through the grapevine which is a really interesting song choice that immediately starts playing or it doesn't immediately it starts playing towards the beginning of the movie Mm -hmm. but then during the funeral as we were discussing earlier one of the friends
0: the uh, the character's name is Karen the actress is Jo Beth Williams
1: uh, she ends up playing. You can't always get what you want on the organ mm-hmm. as everyone is leaving the church, and then that transitions into the actual song as they have the uh, funeral procession towards the cemetery. Yeah. So anyway, I mean, I guess Dan, what did you think about the integration of music in this film?
2: I thought it was a great soundtrack. However, I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, point out that the first song that you hear in it is actually like a two-year-old kid singing Jeremiah was a bullfrog. (laughs) You're right. (laughs) (laughs) Fair point.
1: Is that that on the OST? I don't know. Maybe.
2: (laughs) (laughs) All I could think was, how old is that kid? And is that a Lawrence?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean. um, But yeah, so what did you think? Do you think the songs worked well in the context of the movie? Do you think they added meaning? or? Uh,
2: Looking back on uh, not only the era once I realized that it was 1968-ish was when they were uh, uh, in college together, then it kind of snapped the perspective in that uh, they were all a bunch of radical hippies at U of M. So not <laughs> just college kids with ideals, but they were like specifically flower child, you know, height of the hippie movement in a very, you know, historically liberal school, etc. So I thought then, you know, things like you can't always get what you want kind of did serve well to to kind of get, describe what was happening i mean obviously it's a kind of a song about <laughs> that lends itself well to a funeral i guess but
3: sure yeah
0: but yeah
2: particularly a fr- funeral for somebody that just committed suicide but uh it kind of serves to set the stage for the rest of it which is all of them you know they're not anywhere remotely where they thought they would be 15 years before not necessarily in a worse place or anything but just very different place than they thought all thought they would be
0: yeah, I agree. I, it's interesting. I've actually mixed feelings about the soundtrack because I, I love all the music. Like I love all of the songs, hands down. Um, and there are certain songs that I feel like it, when they were played made sense. I mean, I think the use of you can't always get what you want is is good. But then there's other times that songs play that I'm like, it's a great song, but this has very little to do with the scene it's being played right. over. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: I get what you're saying. And I think Kasdan also said that too, where he was like, I didn't necessarily want all of the songs to be like specific commentary on the scenes, but mm-hmm. to sort of have a feel to them. I mean, I thought that was partially successful. I don't think it was completely successful.
2: Well, it was a great soundtrack, no doubt about that. Though it was kind of strange that for being such a time-specific soundtrack, the movie did not take place in the time where that music was supposed to be coming from, which often seems to be the case when they have a very time-specific soundtrack, you know what I mean? Like Days and Confuse is a bunch of classic rock, but it's supposed to be, you know, a period piece, right? Or, mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Days and Confuse, a period period piece.
0: Yeah.
1: No, of course. Yeah. It's yeah. A specific <laughs> period. Yeah.
0: If you take into account that they were supposed to be, you know, in college at the, the height of the 60s and you now have the early 80s, and I think there's lots of movies actually that we have watched um, that kind of show the, the Rapid change into the 80s and kind of a, a much um, bigger focus on professional success, <laughs> yeah. monetary success, mm-hmm. stability, you know, kind of the Reaganization, <laughs> if you will. I, I'm just making up that word um, <laughs> right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, we we talked about that and when we covered Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and I don't know, I just remember talking about it in other movies, and I feel oh, like yeah. this is definitely supposed to have that feel. Like yeah, uh, whole... this is disappointing yeah. and, and, You talked about that opening scene and you kind of get to get introduced to everybody and you also get introduced to the fact that, okay, clearly these people or most of these people haven't seen each other in quite a while. They're all very comfortable, at least somewhat, um, just kicking it off and giving each other a hard time. There's a lot of little quick burns and things like that. Mm-hmm. I, I, for me, I think the conversation between the character Meg, who's the lawyer, who's single and wants to have a baby, mm-hmm. and Nick, who's kind of the, I don't know, the guy that came back from Vietnam, not quite the same, yeah. and uh, his life has devolved into, it appears, drug trafficking.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I, that's something I didn't pick up on maybe the first time I saw this movie was that he's definitely a drug dealer, and that is his job Yes, right now.
0: But they're in the car and she said the last time that she talked to Alex, who's the one who committed suicide, the last time she talked to Alex that they argue and he's like, well, that's probably why he killed himself. <laughs> and I was like, wow, like you guys haven't seen each other in years. Like, okay. <laughs> but I
1: thought that was great because it just lets you immediately know their relationship exactly. and that they can fall right back into that mm-hmm. despite not having seen each other. And we all have friends like that. Oh, yeah. You know?
0: yeah. No, I feel like the introduction of the cast was well done. Yes. It was well yeah. executed.
1: And it's another one of these movies that we have people constantly playing off each other, like, let's have a scene between these two characters. Now let's have a scene between these other characters. Mm -hmm. If you think of the iterations, I mean, you can, you know, that can basically take up your whole movie. It's just putting different characters together for short amounts of time
2: and seeing how they interact. Yeah. I didn't really think about that at the time, but looking back on it now that you say that, they did sort of pair everybody with everybody else at some point.
0: Yeah, I did find it very odd that, uh, again, that Meg, you know, is attending the funeral of a dear friend. She's clearly happy to see her friends. But like the whole time her agenda is to hook up with one of the guys, provided (laughs) it's not Michael, played by Jeff Goldblum.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, she she's single. She's successful. She wants to have a have a baby. This is before Murphy Brown, too. So,
0: yeah. (laughs) <laughs> she wants to say she's a successful lawyer. You ha- There's a scene between her and, and Glenn Close like talking about like how awful the dating scene is and that she's just like tired of it and she right. just wants to have a baby.
4: They're either married or gay. And if they're not gay, they've just broken up with the most wonderful woman in the world or they've just broken up with a bitch who looks exactly like me. <laughs> they're in transition from a monogamous relationship and they need more space. Or they're tired of space, but... Just can't commit. Or they want to commit, but they're afraid to get close. They want to get close, and you don't want to get near them. <laughs> can't be that bad. Mm-mm, you don't know. I'm going easy. I've been out there dating for 20 years. I've gotten where I can tell in the first 15 seconds if there's a chance in the world. Well, at least you're giving them a fair shot. Yeah, that's easy for you to say, married to Harold, the perfect man. I don't know. Sometimes I think I don't even want a man anymore. So here I sit on my ticking biological clock, and the only thing I've known in my entire life is that I want to have a child. Don't remind me. It was probably, no, it was the right thing to do at the time. So what do you do? I'm going to have a baby. What?
1: Uh, So our options are Kevin Klein's character, who is, married mm-hmm. and jeff goldblum who uh, you know he's kind of he's pretty full of himself oh
2: my gosh <laughs> well i i think they established that they had had a relationship previously yes I
0: don't there know if was, was history a relationship there. or if they just oh, hooked yeah, up at some point yeah
1: uh, i think they said that uh, they maybe, had at least hooked up at one point yes so we know that at least yes but th- whatever that was was enough for her to decide maybe not although he does proposition her <laughs> goes out of his Multiple way to proposition times,
0: her actually and and i just like that she's just like yeah no like <laughs> like you get the impression that whatever history they do have was not good
1: no no exactly and there's nick uh played by william hurt who went to vietnam and is now basically unable to
0: yeah yeah. I, don't know what is, I don't know what his deal is, but we're sexually. non we're non functional sexually, yeah, exactly. and he even says at one point like he can't masturbate, so we're talking like nothing,
1: right? Exactly. Yeah.
0: So he's he's at, uh, Yeah, non functional, and she he's actually the first one she prepositions, which I found oh, interesting. Oh, yep. She kind of has a chain. <laughs> she, has, <laughs> she has a pecking order. Right. Right. <laughs> so she goes to Nick first, and then I think Sam.
1: Yes. So Sam is the um, actor. The actor. The. 80s action star who is in a, I guess, Magnum PI sort of show. <laughs> well, the, the, mustache, sure yeah, the mustache. Yeah, the mustache is the obvious comparison there. Who's <laughs> um, not particularly proud of the work he does, but no. um, is extremely successful. And I, what was his reason? Like, so she proposes him to him first, and the reason was uh,
0: he is recently he, divorced and has a kid with his ex-wife and I think he's just very much aware of what the responsibility is even if she doesn't want anything from him and the kid would never have his name or even know he's like no there's a responsibility there like he takes it very seriously and so he doesn't want to doesn't want to mess around doesn't want to have a kid out there that he's not being responsible for at least
1: so those are the prospects. <laughs> things aren't looking good for her no until towards the end of the movie. Well,
0: God, it's just that's just so upsetting. <laughs> I have all caps in my notes. That's all I'm gonna say.
1: <laughs> do we want do we want to dig into it now?
0: <laughs> okay, here's so one my of the main issue. reasons all why right, Jessica so she's didn't getting like shot this movie. down left and right all right and then and I do find the relationship between Glenn Close's character, who's named Sarah, and Kevin Klein's character, who's Harold. They're married, all right They've clearly been married for a while. and like I said, Kevin Klein is definitely painted as the all-around good guy. He's successful, he's smart, he looks out for his friends, whatever, he's a good guy. And, you know, he's successful in business and she's a successful doctor. And they seem reasonably happy, but something's just not quite right there, whatever, and you come to find out that she had an affair with Alex like five years previous, you know, to his death here. And that it was something that had always been kind of like unspoken between them since college. Obviously, they've all moved past it but obviously there's clearly an imbalance in their marriage now right where he's the extra good guy and she's the one who had been the good girl and she claims later in some conversation or other that she thinks she slept with alex because she didn't want to she was tired of being the good girl
1: Right, that All Alex the brought like that other side out in her that she didn't think that she had. So
0: yeah, but then she regrets it because you know as soon as they acted on it, it was weird, and he withdrew from her. And so I don't know. There's a, at some point, obviously, um, the Meg character realizes she's striking out that weekend, that she's not going to be able to hook up with anybody. And there's this weird moment where Glenn Close's character, Sarah, is watching like an interaction between. Harold and Meg and gets this like weird kind of creepy smile like oh my gosh I have the greatest idea I will totally pit my husband out to knock up our friend (laughs) and so (laughs) and so when she and then she even when she asks him like she whisks him into like this pantry and like passionately kisses him and is all like you know do me a favor and he's like anything whatever and she's and and so they don't actually show her she's like it's something for Meg and that's it. And so it's already super weird, mm-hmm. all right, because it's not completely Meg's idea. It's certainly not Kevin Klein, uh, you know, the Harold character's idea. It's his wife's idea, and they do it in their bed, like in in like the bed that Harold and Sarah share. And they even comment on it. I just it freaks me out, man.
1: Okay. One thing I do want to po- point out, though, about it is that it's very the way the movie's directed and the way the scenes are shot and the actors perform. It's that's not the sense I got about it at all. I oh, mean, from really? context. Okay. Like, I'm sure the whole situation, you're like, I, you know, it's not a situation that you think is believable. But I, th- I mean, well, yeah, with the music that's playing in the background and the relationships that they have built over the course of that time, I don't think it's supposed to be delivered as creepy.
0: No, but it is. Okay. <laughs> I agree with sure. you. I understand no, what they're that, trying then to say. They're totally trying to say that they're like close friends and that they're capable of like doing this thing where it's not just obviously it's not about sex. It's about something bigger than that and they're close and they do have a love for each other. I mean I, I get what they're trying to pitch. I'm just trying to envision this. Like think about any of like your groups of friends and mm-hmm. being like, you know what? Like Kara's just like, Charlie, I need you to do me a favor. (laughs) You know, I mean, I don't care how much you care about that person. It's it's that's
2: a little weird. Yeah, I'm with Jessica on this. I thought that (laughs) was back to her uh, comment about the creepy smile as she was looking at at both of them. I didn't know right away what was going through her head, and I was like, Did she just realize she's in love with Meg? (laughs) what is happening right now? And then, you know, as they're in the bedroom. She's all like elated with giddiness about how wonderful what's happening is, and I'm like, I don't know, I'm not buying it. (laughs) It was just weird. Yeah, it's super weird. And does that mean that like now she's in the clear for cheating on uh, Harold with Alex years before? Yeah, that's. I was almost feel
0: like she was evening it out.
2: Yeah, there's like layers of weird creepiness. That it's like I don't think this makes that okay, and I don't think this is okay, and this is just (laughs) strange and. Michelle was watching it with me, and she just turned to me. She was like, "Yeah, I don't care how bad one of our friends wants a kid. That's okay. That's not going to happen." <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, I don't. I'm, I'm right there with you. That's weird." Yeah.
1: I think then it comes down to a question about whether you thought whether you thought the movie did a good enough job of trying to establish that as not creepy, because the movie's trying to say it's not creepy. That they- they're friends oh. and that this is a perfectly reasonable thing for them to do because they love each other so much. I think that's what I, the movie's I- trying to come across as. Like, and you can say that it doesn't work. Yeah. But I don't think that it's supposed to be creepy at all. I think it's supposed to be like we're supposed to be on board with it. Oh, totally. Okay.
0: No, no, there's no I, argument. There's not argument with that.
1: I really do think it's interesting too because I hadn't thought about the fact that she had had the affair and that maybe somehow this was her trying to say, "Hey, I'm sorry. You can sleep with her." right? And now we're good, right?
0: It's it's, That
1: actually does add a layer that I hadn't thought about that's a little bit.
0: I I completely agree that it's it's not supposed to be creepy. And what I find interesting is I'm trying to decide if the argument for why it's not creepy is that you can make sex impersonal Or very personal because it has like these different levels. Because on the one hand, you can say that, hey, as friends, we can have sex this one time and disconnect from it. Like, it's not like we're going to have a uh, continuing romantic relationship or anything like that. Like, it's just sex. This doesn't detract from your marriage or this doesn't, you know, whatever. And so you can say it's that. But then on the other hand, the only reason they're having sex is for this much, much more personal reason in that she wants to have a child and Mm -hmm. he's such a good guy and they've all been friends. I mean, at some point she says the reason she's like looking to hook up that weekend is because these are the best guys I know it's just I don't know it just makes me uncomfortable Maybe that's like, I don't know, puritanical American history just following me through, but it just, it makes me uncomfortable. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I think to Charlie's original question, which was, did they do a good job of making it look not creepy? My short answer is no. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't quite on board.
3: (laughs) If you
1: you described the movie in the exact way you described, which is just the plot of the movie, like what kind of movie is that? I'd say that's some sort of weird psychological, psychological horror slash drama or something, right? That's like. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah,
2: it's weird. It's not like
1: a fun, fun group get together sort of movie. <laughs> yeah.
2: That that plot line would fit better in like a basic instinct type movie. Or right. Something. Yeah. But it was just there's weird, weird conniving things going on.
0: I do find it interesting that you're on the other side of this argument though, Charlie, that you're more like, that's fine.
1: Because it happens at the end of the movie, right? So sure. you know how good of friends they are and they've even told each other directly how much they love each other. Sure. So it, either by that point you buy it or you don't
2: the, the only the only way that i that i think it's fine is uh is if my interpretation of the end of the movie is correct but we'll, we'll get there
1: <laughs> no okay. no i want to hear it Let's yeah no just, no i'm yeah. curious it ties in yeah what's so your, what do you think
0: what's, what's, what's your interpretation come on so,
2: so so the way that it ended when they're all you know they had that last night where everybody's getting laid <laughs> and some of them are trying to produce children for each other <laughs> and they get together the next morning and the uh in the kitchen and like for the first time the whole movie everybody's awake and in the kitchen at the same time in the morning fair enough and the one makes a joke or is it a joke that they quit their job or whatever and they're just going to move in here yes i think they're all a bunch of children of the 60s and even though it wasn't always you know they ended up in a bad place it was just not the place they thought they were going to end up Mm -hmm. like some of them were more successful than they thought maybe whatever so at the very end they go back to their '60s mentality and they establish a hippie sex commune wow. at this at this plantation in South Carolina. Yeah. So and the qu- <laughs> In your
0: <laughs> in your ending, does Jeff Goldblum still ever get laid? Though.
2: <laughs> well, we know he's got condoms.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, but what?
2: <laughs> Nobody procreates with him. They just have sex with him. <laughs> <laughs>
1: This, l- this long-awaited sequel to The Big Chill. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, Lord. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, just the, the, last, the last comment that I'll make about it is that um, the uh, concept of, like you said there, it's well established how close they are and how much they all care about each other. And so I totally understand feeling bad for the Meg character that this is something she really wants. She actually even makes some statement like, all I've ever wanted to be is a mother and, and that she hasn't been able been able to achieve that and so I'm totally sympathetic and even if you wanted to go f- as far as like Glenn Close's character telling Kevin Klein's character you know I'd really like you to like donate some sperm because Meg wants to have a baby I think it's more the personal delivery <laughs> that I'm just like yep no it's weird <laughs> and I don't think they established that they ever slept together back when they were in college
1: Um, yeah I don't think so I think yeah, we know that uh, so yeah we know that Jeff Goldblum and Meg and Meg got mm-hmm. together. We know that Tom Berenger and Joe Beth Williams did not get together. Yes. Right. Who else got together? Glenn Coase and Alex got together. Yeah. <laughs> at some point. I think William Hurt had gotten together with somebody, with maybe even
2: Meg before. I that. think Meg, yeah. Yeah. Way, so.
0: You know, back when, back in his glory days.
2: <laughs> well, I think it seemed that uh, Meg Tilly and William Hurt, like on some uh, on some emotional level or something, seemed to, bond at the end agreed yeah yeah they pulled out the coat and she started crying so when she started crying was that because it finally sort of sank in that her boyfriend was dead or like did anybody pick up what was happening there it was a very strange scene they pulled the leather coat yeah. off the rack and the only she suddenly started crying
0: the only thing i can think is in the in the conversation that's in the living room kind of the last night when they start arguing and and getting getting on each other um they were discussing stuff about Alex, they're discussing about whether or not he left a note or or why didn't he and or being upset about why this happened. And there's a point at which they show her and she goes to open her mouth like she's going to say something and she gets cut off like somebody else starts talking and so yeah. she, but she seems yeah. like visually visibly, excuse me, upset. Um like she knows something more than the rest right. of them and and she had said earlier to the William Hurt character to the Nick character that that he reminded her of Alex. And so I'm wondering if the handing over of the coat was something that, like, maybe they were supposed to have understood more about Alex than the rest of the people. But that's, I mean, I'm reaching a little bit, but that's about all I got.
2: Yeah. That's more than I got.
1: So I guess the other person we should talk about is William Hurt's character, Nick, who I don't think he graduated. I don't think he graduated with his PhD. Not and with thus, his PhD. Yes. Yeah. And thus was drafted into the army or at least went to Vietnam. Yes. Right. Is disfigured, comes back. And then is briefly a radio radio host.
0: I think because he was trying to get his PhD in psychology and then he somehow ends up being like a radio psychologist.
1: Sure. Yeah. And then jumps around between different jobs and eventually becomes a drug dealer. <laughs> so we see a lot of parallels between his storyline and how Alex is described. So this is something that is constantly being hammered on you <laughs> the entire movie. Is mm-hmm. All right. William Hurt's kind of in the same position as Alex was before he committed suicide. So is he going to end up lonely and commit suicide or like what's sort of going to redeem him? And here's my question for you. So at the end of the movie, he decides, hey, I'm basically going to hook up with Alex's girlfriend and we're going to live in the same place that they lived. They lived. And, and work on the
0: same project they were working on. Same project.
1: So he's basically moved into this exact same position that Alex was in. But are we supposed to feel that that's a good thing? It's another one of these things where I think the movie's pointing out that yes, this is great. Like he's going to be with his friends and he feels better about himself. But for me, it doesn't feel that way. Like I can't square that circle, right? I think he's it's a, back in the exact same position feel... that his friend who committed suicide was in. So why are we supposed to feel good at the end of the movie about
0: that? I think we're supposed to feel like the cycle will be broken. That he'll make he'll make a different decision. Than Alex did. I think that was what we're supposed to feel. Yeah. I don't think they sell
2: it. Right. Or is the cycle continuing?
0: Really? I mean, <sighs> Harold is enabling friends of his to come and live on his property. <laughs> and this is the way he's like driving them to their deaths one at a time.
1: Or possibly it's a horror film where he's luring his friends there Seriously. in order to murder them.
0: Yeah. I mean it's and kinda, pretend
1: like it's suicides.
0: I mean, how many long walks do you take out on that crazy grassy farmland property? Yeah, he's
1: a jogger. He knows all the yeah. the good burying spots.
0: It's, true. it's that, true. That should be the staple.
2: The big chill to the big kill. <laughs>
0: I want to know, though, why he would pick the the William Hurt character, you know, character first before the Jeff Goldblum character, because he was annoying enough. He needed to go. (laughs)
2: Well, he hasn't killed any of them yet. We don't know who to die first. Uh,
1: Dan, what did you think about that, though? Do you think what do you think is going to happen to the William Hurt character after the movie?
2: You know, I don't know. That was one of the few predictions I wrote down was that I kind of thought he was going to kill himself at the end. And like they were going to end with another suicide or something, but uh, instead it, you know, ended. He was all happy or seemingly to me. But uh, I think uh, I definitely got the impression that he was turning a new leaf and had kind of found a purpose and something to something constructive to do.
0: It's possible. I don't know. It's really difficult for me to see somebody like turn their life around in the matter of a couple of days like that. I mean, it's all fun and games until his coke stash runs out. I mean, yeah,
2: yeah. on. Well, if it's it's really a Breakfast Club. uh, type situation I mean they only had one afternoon and all their lives changed forever right? It's true,
0: it's true. you're right <laughs> I don't know I don't have a good answer on that one like I said I don't feel like they sold it to me like yeah. I don't feel like yeah I believe he's yeah. totally going to be fine
1: yeah so I thought, it, I thought it was a little bit too much of the obvious comparison like he's the exact same person and then yeah I didn't quite buy that at the end I'm not saying that I didn't like that storyline overall mm-hmm. I thought it was kind of a nice sort of darker undercurrent going on the whole weekend so that you kind of don't forget, oh, yeah, their friend died, which they often seem to forget, most of them. They're joking around and having so much fun. But
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, it is unusual. Uh, I was going to talk about the Karen and Sam Yes, issues. Karen and Sam. So Karen uh, shows up with her husband, Richard, who's like quintessential, hardworking, incredibly boring kind of douchebag. And I do want to side note. All right. So she's there. She's clearly kind of in this loveless marriage, but he's provided the stability and the future that she wanted when he gets up in the middle of the night he's in the kitchen and a couple of the guys walk in sam and and, and nick i think walk in and are chatting with him he's eating a mayonnaise sandwich right are we establishing that that's oh, what's happening not there's nothing else on that he <laughs> has two pieces of bread then he puts mayo on both slices and he, he puts them together with nothing in between and eats this mayo sandwich and drinks a glass of milk. I mean, it couldn't be whiter. I think it's supposed to be the most heavy-handed symbolism <laughs> <laughs> of the whole movie. It's white Wonder Bread with white mayo with a white glass of milk. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was a good scene, too, because you have him making that sandwich and basically monologuing while Sam and...
0: is it? it? I think it's Nick.
1: Yeah, and Nick are in the room just listening to him and kind of giving each other looks like this guy's... A douchebag? Guy's a douchebag, yeah. yeah. but
0: He delivers a rather grim, depressing outlook on life.
3: Sometimes I think the thing about kids is their instant priorities. You know you have to protect them and provide for them, and sometimes it means your life isn't exactly the way you want it to be. There's some asshole at work you have to kowtow to, and sometimes you find yourself doing things you never really thought you'd ever do. But you try to minimize that stuff and be the best person you can be. But you set your priorities, and that's the way life is. I wonder if your friend Alex knew that. One thing's for sure, he couldn't live with it. I know I shouldn't talk. You guys knew him. But the thing is... Nobody said it was going to be fun. At least nobody said it to me.
1: But to some extent, that's the philosophy that they're upset that they're kind of embracing. That's going against what they used to believe. But it's kind of where they're coming around to. I mean, don't you yeah, think?
2: It's, it's, it's To me, it seemed like uh, the whole purpose of that was he was injecting a dose of reality to all of them. when like When he said no one said it was supposed to be fun.
0: I'm almost wondering if there's supposed to be a continuum of like the idealistic versions of themselves and the completely like soulless versions of themselves. Right. And Richard's on the far end of the spectrum, representing like how 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 far you can go. And maybe Alex is actually supposed to be the the most idealistic version. Like yeah. he couldn't handle. Yeah, yeah, that know. he
1: couldn't handle the fact mm-hmm. that you know he wasn't the same person. That you have that to compromise to be, and then yeah,
0: your ideals to I don't know live. Yeah.
1: Um. So that's her husband. <laughs>
0: Yes. Sorry. I'm sorry. The mayonnaise husband. sandwich just really... I was oh, like, yeah. oh my gosh, he's not putting anything we just, else on that.
1: That should be his name, mayonnaise sandwich.
0: <laughs> I'm calling him that from now on. <laughs> so carrot and mayonnaise sandwich, uh, they arrive together. He's just kind of... I don't know. He's depressing. And she clearly doesn't want to be around him. And she clearly has a thing for Sam and his mustache. Right. And so, yeah. This is,
1: this is the relationship that all the whole French group knows. Like, yeah, they... They're really into each other but nothing ever happened nothing
0: like, ever happened because you get uh, rolling your eyes say, when is
1: that finally gonna happen sort of thing
0: yeah because I think they say that she and the Nick character were together in mm-hmm. college uh, and she always wanted apparently always wanted Sam to try to lure her away but he didn't know that <laughs> I can't place my finger on him either because like you said before he's an actor um I definitely think he feels like a sellout because it is kind of a you know it's a cheap shallow sitcomish you know show that he's on. But he has these moments where I think he's supposed to be showing like intense vulnerability and it kind of comes off. I don't know. It falls a little flat. Like it's a little yeah. it's a little lame. I don't yeah. completely believe it.
1: I mean, I think it needs a little bit of that because William Hurt's kind of pulling on the other direction. Like Dan was saying, like, mm-hmm. no, we don't. You don't really know me. Like, why do you think you know me? You want this character to like, oh, well, we want him to show that he's not shallow. Right. Mm-hmm. But he. I don't know if he shows that he has a lot of depth. It's really (laughs) funny because he talks about the show that he was in and says, like, I tried to put something, you know, really good at each episode just because he knows that it's not a very good show. And then Karen says, oh, yeah, I can definitely see that. But I don't believe her when she says that. Of course
0: not. She's trying to get him to sleep with her. (laughs) I mean, to be honest, she wears him down. Right. Yeah. Like, she gets what she's after.
1: So, Karen's basically decided, yeah, my husband's gone for the weekend. We're finally going to make this thing happen.
0: Yeah, let's do it.
1: She attempts. She just tells him straight out, like, you know, we should do this we should sleep together they start making out and then he rejects her.
0: Well, it's not that she just says we should do this. She says right. I'm going to let's do this and I'm going to leave my husband.
1: That's right, she does say that. Yep. <laughs> Which
0: is uh, a that's, yeah, uh, that's those are those are two farther. very
2: different propositions. <laughs> that, r- that ratchets up the intensity quite a bit. <laughs> yeah,
0: I mean if he didn't want to sleep with Meg to right. knock her up, like that I mean that's a, that and <laughs> she didn't even want him to be involved <laughs> to now the other one's like, "Hey, I want to sleep with you and guess what? I'm going to bring my two kids along. It's going to be awesome. And, and I do like, again, another one of those weird scenes where I think he's supposed to be showing some kind of sincerity or vulnerability. Like he gets in the car with, with Kevin Klein and he's like, I'm getting some strange proposals this weekend. I don't think I could live down here all the time. And I was like that, that stop talking. You and your mustache get plenty of offers. All right, buddy? Like, <laughs> you just
3: settle down.
1: Uh, and, but they do end up eventually getting together. Yeah. Yeah. Hooray! We but all wanted it, right? he
0: ultimately wins, I think, a little bit because he talks her out of... I mean, well, first of all, he gets laid. Mm-hmm. Good work, buddy. But um, no, more like he, he tells her like that giving up on your marriage because you're bored is basically not a good enough reason.
1: Right. And that she'd
0: regret it. Yeah. And so she does, they indicate at the end of the movie that she's not leaving her husband.
1: Uh, Dan, what do you think of that storyline?
2: I I don't know. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't really buying that one either. She, I mean, other than the, you know, going back to their, their ideals from their young radical days, whatever. And we were supposed to be together and he was kind of the complete opposite of the, the hardworking, you know, stiff that she was married to. But I, I don't know if I was supposed to want them to get together or feel bad for her when he rejected her, but I was kind of on his side. It was like, whoa, that's uh, (laughs) a, that's an, you're coming at me pretty intense. (laughs) Well,
0: and she knows he just got divorced too. Like, it's like, yeah, that's a lot.
2: He he already rejected the girl that didn't want any strings attached. And she, and then an hour later, this other girl is like, Hey, let's let's hook up and then I'm going to move in with my kids next week. You know, my my children with the father whom I haven't even left yet. Uh, I don't
0: know. It's aggressive.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it was real aggressive. Again, (laughs) creepy.
0: Seriously, I'm really, really liking this idea of a sequel that's like a, a slasher movie, kind of like, <laughs> like, like a, like a sex commune where people are dying left and right and weird hookups. I mean, it's just, it's a this is this is entirely possible.
2: <laughs> and it turns out it was just all a really long game from Meg Tilly, who is a you know aspiring sociopath serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> and Alex has been lurking in the basement the whole time.
0: <laughs> yeah, the the Meg Tilly character like is easily like the most flexible human being yeah. you've seen in a regular film. <laughs> like in any yes. kind of like not about circus performers.
2: <laughs> I actually thought at one point I was like what sort of uh, trick photography might they be doing in 1983 on this <laughs> with you know they just happen to find this uh, actress just Contort in the Yeah,
1: no, it turned like I looked that up. It turns out she is like a ballet dancer. Oh, really? She has ballet training. So, Uh yep.
0: All right. They were
1: probably like, I bet it was more that, oh, she has that training. Let's integrate that (laughs) into the movie. So, kind of the other way around. Yeah. How do we show that she's sexually desirable? Oh. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Let's have her perpetually stretch.
2: Yep. (laughs) In a leotard. Yep.
0: Yep. Oh, Lord. Uh, I guess I think the only one we really haven't talked about in 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 its entirety is the uh, Jeff Goldblum character. Right. Um, Save the
1: best for last. Well,
0: because he's a journalist. Right. That's a generous term, I think, for somebody who writes for people. Right. Magazine.
1: And he admits as much.
0: Yeah.
2: That well, you know. I think that's another perfect example of the he's not where he thought he was going to be. You know, he thought he was going to be a New York Times investigative journalist, and instead he's you know writing for people.
0: Mm, about a about a blind uh, baton twirler.
2: <laughs> oh, <wait. laughs>
0: I forgot about that. <laughs> I was like, "Wow, that's that's one hell of a story."
1: <laughs> he doesn't have tons of an arc. I mean, no. he's there a lot of reasons for comic relief and sort of to have another character with whom I
0: don't know. He's the douchey could tag have a child, friend. You know, he's just the douchey tag along friend. Yeah.
1: Well, know. You know, every, every group's got one. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, so basically he wants to set up a nightclub, and then by the end he decides he doesn't want to do a nightclub. He wants to write that novel he's always been thinking of writing. I know. What's the novel? This. This. And the I, story I, we just I, saw.
0: And it, it kills me a little bit, because I'm like, no, 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 this is not Little Women. Like, that is not <laughs> what's happening right now. Like, you stop it. <laughs> <laughs> uh it's, uh, while I'm thinking of it, just real quick, can you guys want to like weigh in on the like significance or what was supposed to be the significance of the use of the video camera by like multiple people?
2: I could not figure out why they kept videotaping random conversations, and the first one we saw was the guy interviewing himself. And <laughs> I couldn't really figure out what was going on with that or what it was supposed to mean. What are your thoughts?
1: When William Hart was talking to himself, I think it was just so that Meg Tilly could hear him. Cause she was sitting on the stairs and like yeah. that way she could have more in depth information about his life, his life. And that we'd it'd be believable later when they, you know, get together. But I guess that's not a reason enough to just use a movie camera. I mean, there are lots of other ways that you could have established that. Yeah. Um, well, they yeah, kept but,
2: coming back to them, with other right. characters.
1: Um, I think it's mostly so that the characters can then observe themselves saying something and then reflect on that thing. Not every time. Because sometimes it's just you see them recording, but other times when they're watching a recording
0: or of their friends or playing themselves... to an empty room because it did that a couple of times. Oh, did it? <laughs> yes. The, one of the last scenes where it shows them the conversation or the fake little interview between Glenn Close's character and Jeff Goldblum's character. They oh, They show yeah, it that's on true. the TV and no one's in that room. The room is empty.
1: <laughs> Maybe it's just a device so that you can have... Different types of conversations other than we're just sitting across from each other and talking or I don't know. I think it's playful. I think it's fun. I
0: think it's fine. I just didn't know if I was supposed to be getting more out of it. Yeah.
1: So there's at least one scene I think it was with Jeff Goldblum and Tom Berenger on the screen where all the other characters are watching that recording that they've already made. Mm -hmm. So I think just basically a way for them to see the sorts of things they're saying and say like, oh, is this really what we believe or is this what we're really like? And just, just the sort of introspective mm-hmm. aspect of it. Because well, it's know hard, it was... like in real life, you don't really sit down and think exactly about what you're saying as you're saying it.
4: True.
2: So you guys watched this for the first time. Did you know that it was going to be like a dark comedy or a comedy or a drama? Or did you have any preconceived notions of, of what kind of movie it was going to be? Because I kind of didn't. Like I said, my only reference coming in was that Jack Black and uh, uh, Dick hated it. Yeah,
0: (laughs) And it's it's funny. I watched this movie for the first time maybe five or six years ago, and I totally watched it because of the reference in High Fidelity. (laughs) That is the only reason I decided to watch it.
2: (laughs) Why do you think those two characters in High Fidelity hated it so much and it gave them the willies? Why did it disqualify that song?
0: I think a couple of reasons. I think one, they... I mean, obviously can't just like things that are like mainstream, well-received or whatever. But my other guess would be that where they're at in their lives, they haven't gotten there. They've not aged enough or gotten far enough along to be like, how did I get here yet?
1: Yeah, I would think that it was because it was so obvious of a choice. Like, they're like, that doesn't even count. Like, you could be more creative than that. I think they thought to use this song would have been a cop out.
2: I did some Googling of this, uh, this premise myself to figure out, like, what was it that I was supposed to think up on or, you know, whatever that would make me shudder at the thought of this movie. And from a pop culture standpoint, one thing that I came across was, uh, was somebody saying that this movie may have sparked like a, a run on nostalgic baby boomer
3: Mm. type
2: movies. And that to, to, to a big enough extent through through the eighties and the years that followed that it almost had a sort of backlash against it. Like, Oh my God. That's the movie that started this whole, you know, baby boomer nostalgia thing. Yeah. I can see that.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think it could mm-hmm. be like a Gen X complaint against <laughs> against the baby boomers, right.
0: railing against. Yeah. yeah.
1: So Dan, what? So overall, what did you think? Did was this a good experience for you? Bad experience for you?
2: You know, it it was just weird. It wasn't really what I expected, <laughs> Uh but not necessarily in a good way. I guess it was just it left me kind of confused and like legitimately not knowing if they had just established a hippie commune or <laughs> if uh, did they get closure? Are they all happier now? Are they all more miserable now? Like, I don't know. It just sort of ended and, and yeah, just left me confused. I, I don't know if I liked it or not. I'll have to think about it more, but.
0: So this is my second viewing and I'll say that I, I think I liked it more than I did the first time, but mostly just because I'm older and I think about, like, I don't know, when we all get back together with, like, our friends from grad school or something like that, that I can identify a little bit with, you know, being in a different place, like, some people being in different places and they thought they'd be, you know, good or bad, whatever it is. So, like, I liked the idea of it for a storyline. Like, it's not a bad concept, but I think, yeah, the last third of the movie, it went off the rails and I had a really hard time believing how things were supposed to be wrapped up
2: yes i think that that probably puts it more succinctly how I feel about it the The last like third of the movie just it derails and it leaves me scratch my head and like maybe I just need to watch it again, but I don't know I, th- I thought they took a really good premise and then just got weird with it, went out in the left field and kind of never came mm-hmm. back
1: uh so this is a movie that I've watched this is my third time seeing it, I think each time I've seen the entire movie from start to finish, and the thing I really, really like about it is that. It feels different to me, the different times I've seen it. But those different times are very far apart. I think the first time I saw it was maybe, you know, 19 or 20. And, like, I don't think I got any of it. Like, I don't think I could relate to any of it at all, right? Because I hadn't even gotten through that first part of their life. Like, you know, the part. Yeah,
0: where you grow- actually the go to idealistic college. idealistic
1: part. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. The going to college. Hadn't you hadn't, you hadn't voted for Ralph Nader yep.
0: yet?
4: <laughs>
1: and. The second time I got a lot more out of it and I think this time even more. I think it emotionally just worked a lot better for me being at that part of my life and feeling some of the same feelings they have and you know having the same distance from different friends friend groups. Yeah. Like I know what it's like to, you know, reconnect Dan, somebody that I kind of reconnected with from, you know, elementary <laughs> yeah. school. You know, we've got our grad school friends or mm-hmm. our undergrad friends and, like, getting back together with them and seeing where they are in their life and, like, how people have changed and, like, whether they're doing what they, they wanted to do or not. I think that's something that's just a lot more relatable yeah. to me now. Yes. And that's what I've always kind of – that's what I like about the movie now. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think it's – we didn't really talk about – I think it's pretty hilarious most oh, of the it's time. Funny. I think yeah. the – yeah. But – I'll I'll agree with you. I think especially talking with both of you, these are things that I didn't necessarily pick up on that some of these aspects of the storyline, you know, maybe don't quite work or aren't fleshed out enough. Like I was kind of all in and I was like, oh yeah, I believe that. Like, of course she's going to have his baby. And like, <laughs> of course these two get together and then they're going to go back to their families or whatever. And then yeah. uh, that's great. Like they had a great weekend and then they're going to move <laughs> on. And so like I was on board with it. And now just talking with you two, I'm like, hmm.
0: Okay, let's 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 talk about it like it's us. All right. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you're talking about whatever one of these groups of friends in your life, you know, like you're you're, re- you're meeting up with them, you're remembering good times, you're remembering dreams or goals or aspirations or whatever. And maybe you're becoming a little disenfranchised, like, or I don't know, if you have like this feeling of like, I don't know, I'm disappointed in in the way things have gone. What is the solution supposed to be? How are you supposed to end that story? That doesn't end with a sex commune, but I'm just saying, yeah. like, how do you end the story that's <laughs> you, not super depressing? And being like, "Hey, man, it just sucks, and that's what it is." So I think it's almost like a rushed ending. Like, well, we got to do something.
2: Well, it's yeah. kind of
1: a non-ending, and I I thought that was okay. It's like, well, we're at the end of the weekend now, and where do the characters go? We don't know. But there's some been some interesting developments that you know maybe like- things are going to be different for William Hurt, and maybe there's going to be a child now, and I.
0: I feel like a non-ending would be like not having Meg and Harold hook up and just having her okay, be you're like right, disappointed. Okay, you're right. Okay,
1: there are some. Not
0: having a kid. There are some like, resolutions. There could have been these other things, but it's like, no, we didn't have to have some of these stranger outcomes.
2: Right, okay.
0: I almost feel like it was the writer trying to like make an ending.
1: I see. Okay. Forcing an ending.
2: I think a more sensible ending may have been just A couple of them learn something about themselves and suddenly become more comfortable with where they are in their lives. A couple of them learn something and then realize that, oh, they really want to go back to their original calling of whatever their dreams were. And, you know, they quit their job or something. But, yeah, I feel like they kind of jumped the shark. Like, because they were trying to force something that wasn't there, you know.
0: Yeah, that's, that's first... a better phrasing of what yeah. I meant to say. Like, Maybe that's the first time. Better. Yeah.
1: Maybe the first time I've heard someone use that in reference to the scope of one film. <laughs> right. right. Like, that, that movie jumped the shark halfway through. <laughs> I love it. It's I
0: perfect. Really... <laughs> I really like it because it does very much describe. Like I know exactly what you mean. Uh-huh. <laughs> <Right>. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: No, it, the movie still worked for me emotionally. Uh, Dan, thanks for being on the show and watching something we thought you should watch. Now's your chance to recommend something to the world you think that they should watch.
2: I think uh, along the lines of both great soundtracks as well as movies that uh, evoke pop cultural references left and right, it feels like everybody on Earth has already seen this movie. But if you haven't, you should watch Dazed and Confused if for another no other reason than... To understand the pop culture references and other stuff, (laughs) i.e. Matthew McConaughey, (laughs) etc. Basically, yeah.
1: (laughs) So, let's see. Do you have one? I'm just going to recommend a movie that I watched recently that I like and get a half-assed tie-in here. Young Adult, which is a movie from 2011 that i really liked so this is my second time watching it it stars charlize theron and Patton oswalt and she is a young adult uh fiction writer who goes back to her hometown and is basically trying to hook up with her high school boyfriend again uh who's played by uh patrick wilson and it's just a it's actually a pretty hilarious dark comedy And kind of, sometimes you forget how good of a comedic actress Charlize Theron is. And it's, I don't know, I would recommend it to everybody. It was written by Diablo Cody, who wrote
2: Juno. Juno, yeah. Yeah. Is that the one where Patton Oswalt is, uh, he's like crippled? Yes, yes. Because he got beat up? Yeah, that is is a dark movie, to say the least. (laughs) Yeah. That is a dark comedy.
0: I need to see it now. <laughs> yeah. Clearly.
1: Well, it ties in in that she's not in the place in her life that she thought she would be or oh, that, that she was, thinks she is. Oh, there you go, is. Charlie.
0: You just, you just tied it all together. <laughs> no, blurg. All right. Not
1: all of these can be tied together no. perfectly. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm, to take a mulligan on that one.
0: I'm going to break. I'm going to break from tradition, which I usually do. I usually try to, to uh, recommend a movie or something that rem- I'm reminded of, at least, from whatever we've watched. But um, no, I'm totally going to break from it. And it's, it's, uh, it has good music, too. It has good music, too. But I'm actually recommending a movie that's aimed at kids um, because it came up in work conversation this last week and it reminded me how much I love it. I'm recommending The Sandlot. If you haven't seen it, I love that movie. And I think that oh, yeah. you can completely and totally enjoy that as an adult. And uh, my vague tie-in is that maybe these kids at some point in the future will get back together <laughs> and reminisce and all be disappointed <laughs> with their pathetic little non-professional baseball playing <laughs> lives.
2: A couple of them did become pros, though. One made it to the majors and uh, the pitcher made it to AAA.
0: Dude, you're killing me. What are you doing? No, I'm just kidding.
2: (laughs) (laughs) What could be an alternate reality?
0: Maybe, but the dog is dead. No, it's fine. Um...
2: (laughs) I've got a t-shirt that has uh, Wendy Peppercorn on it. It says she knows exactly what she's doing. Oh, my gosh.
0: I love it. And so, like, I always think of it like summarizing, like, I don't know, summarizing weird incidents. I'll be like, he kissed her long and he kissed her good. (laughs) From that movie.
2: (laughs) great movie. That's a great uh, recommendation. Thank That's you. A great one. So Dan,
1: thank you very much for being on the show. It was great to have you uh, for the second time.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me back. Uh, whenever you guys uh, want to watch another Kevin Klein movie, just let me know. Yeah, What's the next one? <laughs> we'll you get that. to choose. <laughs> I'm going to have to look up his IMDb page and see what else is on there. <laughs> oh lord. <laughs>
0: That wraps it up. Thanks so much for joining us. We had a great time. Hope you really enjoyed it.
1: Tune in next time when we'll be introducing another friend to one of our favorite movies. See you then.
0: At some point, we're going to have to cover Kevin Klein's alarmingly short shorts. (laughs) <laughs> they were disturbingly,
2: were, disturbingly
0: short shorts.
2: <laughs> like they were shorter than boxer shorts.
0: Yes, they were the shortest shorts I think I've ever seen on an actor in a film.
2: <laughs> <laughs> they were like whitey tighties that weren't tight.
0: Exactly. It was just, and <laughs> in, in the color, that kind of like almost gray, yeah. like they were off-white, just gray. And, it was so uncomfortable. And
1: the slit up the side? Yes. To make it even shorter there on the side, so, it looked like he wasn't even wearing it. There was so
0: pants. much of his thigh exposed. I was so <laughs> uncomfortable.
2: It was weird.
4: Yeah.
0: <laughs>